0: been a few weeks, but I'm back with another episode, number 45 to be exact. Tonight, I sat down again with Lawrence Yap, and we break down his trip to California checking out Luftgekult. And if you're into Porsches, the air-cooled world, and exceptionally beautiful cars, most of which are fully functional driving machines, this is going to be an episode for you. Also, if you're interested in wearing a bit of Porsche's history, you should check out the Pasha sock from Stripe Design. Eric from Stripe has built his company around the idea of high-performance driving socks, and all the colors and graphics are inspired by the art, community, and heritage of motorsport. And although the 928 isn't quite Luftgekult's air-cooled material, the Pasha sock in particular is a really cool way to embrace your inner car nerd, maybe catch a compliment in a boardroom, or even at your next fuel stop from somebody who really knows. Check out the Pasha and all of Stripe's designs at stripedesign.com, that's with two eyes and at Design on Instagram. And with that, we're going to move on to the show. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this is the Bucket Seat Podcast. Okay, so we're off to the races here. Okay, so I'm back. It's episode 45 of the Bucket Seat Podcast. We are going to talk about tonight, Luftgekult. And I'm here with good friend of the show, Lawrence Yap. Hey, Trevor. (laughs) Yeah, so we're ready to talk about Lawrence's experiences at the somewhat newfound pilgrimage to California for an air-cooled love fest. Many of you have now come to know as... Luftgekult. And I I apologize to anyone out there that's listening that knows the pronunciation far better than I and isn't butchering it, but that's my best take at it. So uh, how am I doing, Lawrence? Is that Uh, pretty good? I think
1: you're doing okay, actually.
0: (laughs) Uh, Okay. So maybe we should establish what Luftgekult is and where it is. So we know that it's about Porsches. We know that it's about air-cooled Porsches, but where does it happen?
1: Well, it happens in California. It was actually a show founded about five years ago by uh, some of you may have heard of Patrick Long, a factory Porsche driver from the US, uh, and a friend of his, Howie Idelson, who's a sort of advertising creative guy. Mm -hmm. Patrick's gotten into old Porsches as of late. And, uh, you know, he's got enough influence kind of in that world where between he and Howie, he was able to pull in all of his friends and you know, acquaintances and Porsche and everybody else to put on this amazing, uh, amazing car show. Uh, It's, it's a event that Porsche sort of brings people to, uh, but they don't support financially. All of the cars are, you know, sourced by Patrick and Howie and and, and their crew. It's pretty amazing.
0: And so if you were to describe this, because I mean, I think we all have a decent understanding of what it is but mm-hmm. if there was someone out there listening right now that wasn't really into cars or super into cars how would you describe this festival because it's a lot different than I think most car shows or what you picture a car show to be
1: yeah I think uh, you know if you have been to a car show typically they you know especially when when they're surra- they're around old cars they tend to be pretty stuffy kind of affairs where, you know, especially kind of for the higher end stuff, you'll be on a lawn at a golf course and people will be judging how perfect your car is and how original it is. And and there will be people that have blazers and ribbons. And uh, <laughs> this is kind of the complete opposite of that. I think the the way I could describe it, whether you're into cars or whether you're not into cars is sort of the most inclusive uh, old Porsche show I've ever been to. Um, And, you know, it is kind of centered around old Porsches, but I think what's remarkable about it is how diverse the crowd is. You know, I mean, I go to a lot of Porsche events. Uh, I used to work there and I'm still kind of involved with the club and we host events at our dealerships. And, you know, there is a certain kind of person that tends to come to a car club sort of show. Uh, This is very different. Uh, I think the most impressive thing about Luftwaffe Kult is um, how diverse the crowd is. I mean, you will see a lot of women at this show. You will see people whose skin tones are all over the map. Mm -hmm. You will see children. uh, And they're all just kind of united by the fact that they think these cars are cool. Um, And, you know, the other major thing I would say about it is that this that inclusiveness extends to the cars as well as the crowd. Uh, the way that they had it set up this year, there was it's, it was in a lumberyard, and there was a sort of indoor area where all of the perfect cars were—the historic race cars, the important pieces, uh, you know, the perfectly preserved or perfectly restored cars. And then there were there was everything else, and it was you know very artfully arranged in this lumberyard. I think there were upwards of 700 cars at this event. Um, and you know, it was just whatever you wanted to bring. So long as it was an air cold Porsche, so long as, you know, you got in under the wire before the fire marshal shut them down, uh, you could park your car in the lumber yard and be part of the show, which I think was really, really amazing.
0: I love it. I mean, it, so that's kind of the, the general description for somebody, let's say who wasn't really all that into cars or just wanted to know what the show was about if you're a super car nerd mm-hmm. what is it about being a car nerd that would attract you to a show like this like how would you describe it to somebody who is a car nerd but somehow didn't know what this was all about
1: i think the way i would describe it to a car nerd is that it is on it is a car show it's a massive car show now that is unlike any car show you've ever been to because the people are different and right because uh of the level of inclusiveness it's uh you know you will see things at at this show that uh, are unlike uh, what you would see at any other kind of Porsche show. Right, uh, cars that have been you know completely modified, you know, uh, to where they're almost you know there's nothing left of the original car, as well as you know perfect factory race cars, and it's just that diversity that, that makes it so attractive.
0: I hope you don't mind, Lawrence. We're going to do a little live oh Instagram feed here as well. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> hey, everyone. Recording with Lawrence tonight. You'll hear it all on the show, episode 45. Awesome. We're going to keep going here, but throw any questions out if you have any. Um, okay, so we've gotten through that now in terms of who it necessarily is that would want to be at the show, both. Car
1: nerds, not car nerds. Mm -hmm. And I would say that the the mix of people that go there is sort of the same, right? So you'll have, you have a lot of people that just think that these cars look cool and that they're interesting and they want to learn more. Yeah. And then, you know, it is also a a mecca for ultra portion nerds, right? That, uh, you know, the guys that can tell you the history of that particular chassis number. Or, you know, why uh, that wheel design, you know, was only made for X number of months. And I can tell that this is not, you know, this wheel doesn't belong in that car, you know, that kind of stuff. So the, the level of nerdery is all over the map as well.
0: But, <laughs> but you're not being penalized for it like you yeah. would at Monterey or at Pebble Beach.
1: Right? Yeah, and it's actually very welcoming in the sense that, you know, the ultra nerds that, that show up to this show uh, show up because they want to share that knowledge and that passion with people and, and kind of mm-hmm. grow this hobby mm-hmm. um you know the first year that they did this event it was in a parking lot at a bike shop oh right was it yeah in venice and there were like you know it was like 30 30 cars in a parking lot yeah and then it, it, now you're looking at 700 cars and the fire marshal shutting them down when they hit something like seven thousand people saying you cannot let anybody else in. It was that packed. That's wild. Yeah. yeah so wow. that that's kind of what's cool about it is 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 just how open it is, right?
0: Okay. So, well, you talked about um, you just mentioned some numbers there. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what did you see in terms of attendance for this show?
1: Well, it, it, apparently it was about seven thousand people. Wow. Uh, and the fire the fire marshal did actually tell them that they had to stop selling tickets. Uh, So, you know, in the lead up to the event, I mean, I bought my tickets months ago. Yeah. You know, there were these email notifications saying, like, (laughs) we're sold out, sorry. And they ran out of parking space. So they actually had to rent a parking lot at the Toyota North American headquarters um, a couple of kilometers down the road. And they were running a shuttle bus service for people that came to the show. And it was really, really professionally organized, but still, you know, not like a stuffy Car show.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, and so it sounds like so two years ago, it was hosted at Modernica, the original producer of the Eames chair. This mm-hmm. year, it was hosted at Gnal Lumber in yeah. Torrance, yeah. which, you know, fun fact is, according to them, the oldest lumber yard in California, established in 1884. So there's some history there behind it all.
1: Yeah, I think so, that all actually has a number of different lumber yards, and this is yeah, one do. of many. For right? sure, yeah. It, it did not look like it was built in 1884. Yeah, I, it looked brand new.
0: Fair. I don't know if that fact is necessarily uh, applied to that yard in particular, yeah. but I think their original site was certainly one of the first. Um, but I mean, how did it fit the whole vibe of the event? The, the photos looked pretty epic. There was a really cool, um, very... I mean, it's not even industrial because there's this kind of supply yard that all of these beautiful specimens are parked in front of. So maybe give us an audio walkthrough of what that whole space was like as you kind of as you'd arrived and and
1: walked and approached through. I think this is one of the brilliant things about this event is that, you know, the vast majority of car shows that I've ever been to are either on a parking lot or or on a lawn. Uh, And this is, I think, where a guy like Howie Idelson, who's got a bit of a creative background, comes in. They've always chosen very interesting venues to host this event. And the venues are... (laughs) part of what makes it special you know it was at the port of los angeles last year so not a place you typically see a lot of you know pretty cars yeah a furniture store is not a place where you typically see a lot of these cars mm-hmm. uh and a lumberyard certainly but uh, yeah everywhere you looked you know it was actually like stacks of plywood make a really nice backdrop <laughs> for right. old 911s yeah yeah uh and it was this beautiful kind of indoor outdoor space so you know, you have a lot of lumber, You're, you know, kind of in stacks outside where all of the general sort of air-cooled parking was. And then within sort of the main building was where the really special cars were. And, uh, you know, that's where they have you know smaller pieces and tools and hardware. And what was great about it is that you had scaffolding you know, within the building where you could like climb up the scaffolding and take pictures from the second floor. And it was just really, really well planned out. Right. I but mean, the, the, the venue really made the event. If you'd taken those 700 cars and put them on a lawn or put them in a parking lot, it would not have had the same feel.
0: Yeah, it just wouldn't have been as special. And did you yeah. feel that, um, I, I know that the curation, it's an overused term, mm-hmm. but the curation of that exhibit, which I think is a is an important term for it, is yeah. that you knew where there were important vehicles that had been yes. very prominently positioned, but did it feel like that, or did it feel more like an organic car show? And I asked that simply because I wasn't there or seeing it. No,
1: it felt it felt completely organic. I mean, you could tell by the cars which one were which ones were special. The really, really special stuff, actually. They built these platforms that were kind of um, planks of lumber, kind of tied together, and they parked the cars on top of them. So, oh, okay, um, yeah, but but I think again, what was cool about it is how everything was just sort of you know, like it felt like one show.
0: Yeah. There were no accidents. No, no weird pieces of lumber. No fell on accidents. Anything. No <laughs> weird
1: pieces of lumber. They had great music. They had great food. Like, and again, stuff
0: that you typically don't normally find yeah. at a car show. Right. Sorry, you say, and I know this might be very boring for a lot of people, but you said they had good food there. What they kind of food, food do you food. have at the well, show? Well, like
1: this is this is part of the thing, and it's part of the the creative direction of the show is that they always bring in like these kind of local food trucks that all you know. So it's not, it's not like you know. Hot dogs and, and burgers. It's yeah, it's, you know, um, it's California food. It's, it's
0: fantastic. Proper proper food, which yeah. a, you know, California
1: food truck culture. is yeah, it's fantastic.
0: Very enviable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, as I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna stop fiddling with my phone because I was trying to do more of a live video, but I don't do it very often, so I'll, I'll just <laughs> I'll just abandon it. But those who watch, thank you for the few minutes. I think we had about ten people already tuning in, but oh. um, we'll do it more in the future. So we talked about it earlier. In the mm-hmm. the genesis of this was uh, Patrick Long, so um Le Mans winner. Patrick yep. Long, also creative director Howie Idelson. Um, I was looking back at some of his history, and as you'd said, kind of an advertising guy. Mm-hmm. I I saw Twitch. a lot
1: of advertising guys. There until old nine elevens, like it yeah, seems right. to be kind <laughs> of a thing, right?
0: And I saw. I saw Deutsch back in there. I saw BBDO back in there. And it's very, very, you know, a long time ago, actually. But now he's there with Patrick. And they're really creating this brand with Mm -hmm. Luftgekult. Yeah, it has
1: become a brand.
0: and. I mean, have you ever seen anything like it that has such a distinct dominance like that, kind of 356 to 993 era that Le has created for themselves? Is there anything else out there that you've seen like
1: that? No, I mean, there there are big shows uh, that attract a lot of cars. Like if you go to the Porsche Club, Porsche Parade, you know, it's a national event and they'll get a similar amount of turnout. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, There are shows where you'll see... You know the the sort of level of spectacularness of some of the really special stuff that that they managed to bring out, but the combination of the really special cars, the size, and and the openness is not something that I've certainly seen anywhere else. Right. Uh, I would liken it to, you know, probably like a like a more kind of all brand sort of show that just happens to be about air-cooled Porsches. So if you were to go to, uh, and again, the venue just makes it completely special, but if you were to go to, um, you know, a a show where, let's say it was all imports, right, and you'd have, you know, the Hondas over here and you would have, uh, you know, the drift cars over here and you would have, um, you know, the perfectly preserved specimens over there. It's like all of that, but it's all just happens to be air-cooled Porsches. Yeah. uh, And I think that's what's really cool about it. And, you know, the, as m- valuable as maybe some of these cars have become over the years, the one of the cool things is that they made a lot of them. You know, there a there lot, are a lot, lot of, of air cooled nine elevens out yeah. there, and there are a lot right. of three fifty sixes out there in relative terms compared to vintage Ferraris. You know, well,
0: that's yeah, that's one of the big things, and that's kind of what I was going to ask. Um, actually, hang on a second here. We're just going to take a quick little. I'm just going to pause that. those out there. Yeah, relative to
1: old relative. or whatever.
0: Yeah, know. right, and to any other manufacturer, and um, to that effect, who would you say the next manufacturer would be that could compete on any level to something like Lufthansa from the Porsche standpoint?
1: I really don't know. Uh, I think that what what's interesting about the way that the culture around air-cold Porsches has developed, and a lot of it has to do with this event, I would credit a fair chunk of it to this, is that this sort of marriage of, you know, a relatively sophisticated kind of German car with kind of North American sort of hot rod culture. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. there's a whole sort of subgroup of people particularly in california that have really kind of taken that to the extreme and i would say singer is a perfect example where you know if you want to spend a million dollars or or you know a lot more than that for the super lightweight version um you can do that right and but it's all like that is a car that could only have happened in california with the suppliers there that sort of serve the aerospace industry as well as the hot rod people right with um the amazing weather all year so that cars stay preserved for a long time yeah just the sheer population base and the wealth in california that can support kind of this this customization and this whole industry around it.
0: yeah i mean well that's kind of that was kind of part and parcel with my next question was how californians do it so differently yeah and why a show like this could be so well supported by the California culture versus the Canadians, and I mean you touched on it already, but it's the cars. Is I think it's it's the volume when you look at yeah. it. If you look at the Canadian car market, I mean it, it's know, interesting. The California car market is as big as the entire country of Canada. Uh, it,
1: it actually may be more than that in, in in the Porsche world. When I was working at Porsche, you know, California was an eight thousand car a year market. And at the time, you know, Canada was closing in on being a 4,000 car. Year now, <laughs> wow. now, Canada is a lot bigger now. We're closing in on, I think, 8,000 cars nationally in Canada. But California is still way bigger. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, there's so many people there. There's so much wealth concentrated there. Mm-hmm. And they have a great driving season. You can drive your, yeah. you know. So the justification to drive something nice is a lot easier because it's not sitting for six months
0: right? yeah it, it encourages it so much yeah. more and i think the, the preservation of those cars too has been built into the car culture itself that's where right. people are just generally more conscious of those vehicles sure we're conscious of not wanting to get rust and and rust mm-hmm. damage and salt damage on all of our vehicles here but yeah. i think there's just a lot more care that goes into keeping them and the climate just, perfect
1: but the climate lets you do that yeah you know, i saw a car sitting in the employee parking lot at the Porsche experience center. They have this little kind of test track and workshop restoration facility office down there, basically the same as my car, but it's clearly had just been daily driven. The paint was peeling off and it just made my, it just made me so happy to see it's like, wow, it's like totally beaten up, but it had brand new tires and somebody was driving it (laughs) and you can't do that up here. Okay. So,
0: um, you know, I don't want to get, wrapped up in the California car culture because it just makes me so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I drive the STI. So for any of the any of the Californians watching out there, um, come to Canada, drive the STI, yeah. and you'll know why.
1: <laughs> perfect winter car.
0: Yeah, it is. It's a perfect winter car, but also the perfect summer car for me, which yeah. I really love. Um, what I want to talk about is from the show itself, what were your top five, like the highlights, oh the real highlights of that show? Which I know is a difficult question, but what would you say that is?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. There, there were so many cars, but the, but there are cars that stood out, and not all of them were perfect cars. Um, That's nice to hear too. Yeah, Again, not perfect cars. Not on perfect not perfect grass. Or, or or not you know not not perfectly original. I would say mm-hmm. uh, there was you know uh, Rod Emery, who some of you may have heard of. He restored. Uh, A few years ago, the first Porsche to ever win in its class at Le Mans, 1953, uh, 356 SL. So that was there. Wow. On the back of... Sorry,
0: what was the year again?
1: 1953. God. Yeah. First Porsche to win at Le Mans. Yeah, Uh, to win its class. To win its class, I think it finished 10th overall or something. Okay, yeah. So it's, you know, this 50s, 356 with like um, covered over uh, fenders, fenders. Just parked on a back on the back of a period correct truck, you know, in the parking lot. Amazing. So that that was (laughs) very amazing. Uh, There was a 959 there that uh, Bruce Canepa, who's kind of a legend, yeah. Canepa um, Motorsports, yeah. Yeah. In in those circles, not just for Porsches, but actually for like Camaros and Trans Am cars and stuff like that. Racing in general, yeah. So now he's doing (laughs) uh, a pack a restoration package for 959s that. Basically, you know, you buy your 959 for like a million bucks and then you send it to him <laughs> uh, and they strip it down and they rebuild everything and they modernize everything. They install modern electronics. They install upgraded hardware. So now it's making like 800 horsepower instead of 450. Oh God! Um, they are painting them in historic paint-to-sample Porsche colors and interiors. And there was one there that was just you know it was it was blue on red. I mean it was a weird color combination, but it was just unbelievable the level of detail that had gone into this car. Right. Um,
0: So would you go as far as saying that's kind of like a singer or an icon esque restoration of one of those cars? I mean, is that even? I would say mechanically,
1: I think that you could probably make the comparison, but it is still like it looks exactly like a nine fifty nine. Wow. So the bodywork uh, remains the same. So it looks, other than the color, it looks stock, right? Uh, but all everything kind of underneath is upgraded. That's wild. Uh, yeah. That's so wild. that's number two. Yeah. Uh, number three uh, was uh, a nine seventeen ten, which is kind of the car that killed the Can Am series. If the nine seventeen thirty didn't do it uh, later, so it's basically. You know, a lawn chair strapped to the front of a 5.4 liter flat 12 with twin turbos making, you know, God knows how many horsepower. And just to see how flimsy that thing is. Right. Uh, is pretty unbelievable. Um, I actually visited the, this uh, Porsche Experience Center a couple of days before because I know some people that work there. And part of what they do uh, in uh, the workshop is they restore vintage race cars. And they actually had a nine seventeen engine sitting on their bench, and I mean it was as big as your dining room table. It, yeah, it was this tall. <laughs> uh, so that was that was pretty special. Uh, there was a, and this is there's another Canepa connection because he restored this car. But there was a uh, the number four of four nine eleven R prototype. Uh, so the last prototype before they built the 2911R production cars back in the 60s, and it was parked by the men's room. Uh, just, <laughs> yeah, right. That was the yellow one that sort you of, showed to the photo Just sort of, of right. parked really casually over by the men's room. So that mm-hmm. was pretty cool. Right. Um, I mean,
0: so for again, oh,
1: oh, oh your battery's like dying. Everybody here.
0: Um For anybody still there, Lawrence yeah. has this plethora of photos from the show that you've got to check out. He's yeah. only got a few posted, but... Um, yeah, check those out when you've got them. It looks like my phone is going to die. So maybe we'll say, if you guys have any questions, um, post them up now and we will, uh, we'll try to answer them a little bit later at the end of the show. And you can listen for the recording later on to see if your, your question made it in, but, um, say bye and hi to Lawrence. (laughs) Bye guys. Thanks so much for watching. We'll, uh, we'll be back on once I've got some more juice on my phone. All right. Okay. That's
1: number three, right? Yep, number three. Uh, Number four, actually sort of co-joint number four, is there was a row of 935s, which... Uh, it's amazing to see how far you can take an original nine eleven design by interpreting the rule book and going, Oh, actually I can I can do a lot with this. It says that the the rear window has to be here, but it doesn't say I can have another rear window that stretches over here. And it doesn't say that I can make the car essentially twice as wide as it was originally or put a slant nose on it because, you know, the template actually goes down the middle of the car so I can get rid of the right the 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 tunnels over the headlights. So there were a bunch of uh, different 935s, one of which was Canadian driven by Ludwig uh, Heimrath back in the day. Um, Sorry, by whom? Ludwig Heimrath, who owned uh, the Porsche dealer on uh, Lawrence. Uh, no and, kidding? Yeah. Yeah, and he's still wow. he's still kind of active at the track. He drives a GT2 very, very fast. Um, So yeah, all, all of these 935s, that that was pretty amazing seeing them in one place uh and finally only because it was really really pretty was a was it like a perfect 904 GTS um which you know you could kind of climb up onto the scaffolding and look on, look down on it from above and and just go wow that's like the prettiest car a maybe.
0: 904 GTS yeah so explain that to me and forgive that was me because i don't i can't picture it in my mid-engine head
1: mid-engine sports racing car uh designed by uh by buzzi porsche so uh, Ferry's, uh son uh, fiberglass body mid engine originally was four cylinder, then they made a six cylinder version. And there was even an eight cylinder version, uh, you know, competed at Le Mans through all of these sort of uh, sports car type races. So, just a really, really pretty car and probably worth Googling if you don't know what it looks like. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check yeah. that out. Afterwards. Tiny, tiny, but just perfect. Right? Not a Ford GTS. Yeah.
0: So, uh, I know this must just be. Agonizing for anybody who really knows what it is on the show uh, that's listening, but bigger than nine eleven body of the time,
1: longer, but probably two thirds of the height. so okay. like this high yeah. off the ground. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, really
0: pretty car. Um, was that five? Was that your number five? Was that, that was number five? Four? I think that was number five. <laughs> um, <laughs> we talked about Rod Emery. Yes. Now, I mean, he's the three fifty six. Master, yeah. I listened to um, to Matt Farah's Smoking Tire podcast with him on the other day. He's <laughs> really amazing. If anybody wants to know about Rod Emery and his history, check out that show. Uh, it was phenomenal. Well, oh, his I mean, family
1: is has quite an interesting history, and in, right, in, in, his, his in father was a hot, hot rod guy. And, yeah,
0: yeah. So, anyway, check out the Smoking Tire episode from a couple weeks ago with Rod Emery. Fantastic interview. Awesome show. Shoutouts to those guys massively for also producing such a great show, but, um, check that out. Now, was there anything, you know, from Rod and his gang there that, um, that snuck in that, you know, was under the radar or is that even possible with him?
1: Uh, no, I don't think that that's possible with him. Uh, one of the interesting things I actually did and, you know, the thing is, lift to is a, is a car show that happens on a Sunday. Uh, it has evolved over the last few years, so that there's all kinds of stuff now that happens sort of around that weekend, um, you know, which we, which we'll get into. But actually, there is a uh, a merchandise shop called Period Correct. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that is in Costa Mesa. That is that occupies the space that Rod's dad used to uh, operate out of, That's- which was called um, which was called Porsche Parts Obsolete. Um, so, yes.
0: so that's where he bought the major that's right. facility that had all the Porsche parts when they were kind of stumbling. That's at, right. At one yeah, point. He, he bought up all ownership. the
1: old parts and, and, and kind of made a business out of it. Yeah. Well, this Period Correct shop, you know, they sell books, they sell t-shirts, they sell tools. It's just all of this sort of like car geek gear. Mm-hmm. But uh, there were a couple of Rod Emery cars parked inside uh, the Period Correct shop, which is pretty cool.
0: And does he have... Does he have ownership or any involvement in that store? Or? I don't
1: think so. Yeah, I, yeah.
0: It, it sounded like he was he was promoting it uh, to a certain extent. Yeah, they've done a line kind of, of uh,
1: Porsche parts, obsolete uh, stuff, cool, uh, like T-shirts, you know, featuring the old logo and and, and whatever. But that that store, uh, I believe Jeff Zort's involved somehow in that store, and there's mm. a couple of other guys mm. that are involved with that store, but
0: amazing yeah. um speaking of jeff's work mm-hmm. so you said that he was there yep um you know what does a guy like that get from an event like luftka cult i mean and i don't mean that's a it sounds like a loaded question but mm-hmm. you know is he there is he there as jeff's Swart, the celebrity you know in the Porsche world? Is he there working? Is he there doing both? I mean, what did you kind of get from him while he was, or, or at least understanding what he was there for?
1: He's definitely there working. Uh, Jeff is a, a pretty creative guy himself. Um, he started his career as a photographer for Road and Track Magazine. Uh, he, you know, sort of developed from there into shooting uh, car commercials. Uh, he still does a lot of uh, car commercials. So he's yeah. he's a creative guy, you know, to begin with. Uh, and he actually uh, has been sort of like behind the scenes a lot with with Luft trying to, you know, he's got a lot of the connections uh, to, to get the right cars. Uh, he has an amazing eye. So I think he really helps them kind of lay out the event mm-hmm. and choose the venue and decide mm-hmm. where you're going to park all the cars and, and stuff like that. So he was working really, really hard that weekend. Uh, there were a couple of other events kind of in the lead up to the Sunday. There was a... Uh, a panel discussion at the Peterson Museum on the Friday night uh, to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the 964, uh, of oh, the cool. debut of the 964, which is still one of my favorite Yeah. Uh, 911s. And, and at so, Peterson, of all places. Yeah, at the and Peterson. Like a, on the rooftop at the Peterson. Uh, just the most like. I've yeah. only
0: seen photos and yeah. some video walkthroughs. I've never been in person. Yeah, cool,
1: cool rooftop parking lot. Uh, um, And so, you know, there's a panel discussion of the Peterson that he was sort of involved in in being one of the panelists, but also organizing and looping uh, some of the participants in. So he's definitely involved in the weekend behind the scenes. I think he's just at the point now in his career where he's found something he's really passionate about and he's helping them out.
0: Oh, I love that though. I mean, the fact that you can have that kind of established fame and be able to contribute to an event like Luft Mm -hmm. and have that significant of an impact makes me feel so good that maybe... You know, maybe someday there's something that um, we can all do here in Canada that would all make us feel as maybe compelled to support an event. And I think there's a bunch of them out there that are happening now. But yeah. I uh, I love it when you see someone give back without really much commercial need for, you know, return mm-hmm. on it. You know, they're not doing it as a, as a
1: project. They're not getting paid to be yeah, there. Just a just the collector of old horses himself. Right? Yeah. He's very passionate about the subject matter. He's very knowledgeable.
0: So traveler's guide to hitting luft in mm-hmm. california you know any must do's must see <laughs> kind of uh garages or locations that you went to give us your inside scoop
1: you know there's there, there's so much to do and and I, I feel like i on this trip i probably missed out on a lot of the stuff because um there, there were some colleagues of mine that went down that had a much more active schedule than i did and and i you know sort of purposely decided that i wanted to take a few days off <laughs> And and actually go and make it make this a bit of a vacation. So, but in addition to to the event itself, you know the Peterson is certainly worth a visit regardless of what's going on there to see what you know they've built. Uh, you know, in terms of just not just Porsches but everything. The uh, Porsche Effect exhibit is on, I think, until the end of the year. So that's kind of worth checking out. Uh, they have a uh, amazing exhibit in there right now of a, uh, of some of the most important Ferraris. There's custom bikes in there, like it's it's really 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 cool. Um, I always make a stop at uh, a store called Auto Books Books, which is okay. I think the best automotive bookstore on the planet. Uh, I always bring an extra suitcase. So I can-
0: I noticed. I noticed that, so that you featured a couple back. of the books when you got back. Yeah,
1: yeah. So there, uh, there's a there's a new kind of magazine that I'm kind of hooked on from Belgium called Waft, and they publish twice a year. Uh, and AutoBooks AeroBooks is the only uh, place in North America you can buy it. And it looked beautiful. Yeah, just it's, the cover alone. It's amazing. Stunning. It's hardbound. It's a couple hundred pages. There's no advertising. Oh. Uh, it's beautifully shot. Uh, it's poetically written by these Belgian people and, I guess, translated into English. I, I don't know. It's it's really, really cool. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of... What was the name of that shop? It's yeah. called uh, Autobooks, Arrow Books. It's Auto in Books, Burbank. Aero yeah. Aero okay. Burbank. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Hurley Haywood uh, was signing uh, copies of uh, his new biography with uh, Sean Crindlund there. What? When, well, you it? were there for this? Yeah, well, Hurley was in town for Lyft as well. Of course. Right? So <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I mean, there certainly you could make as busy a schedule as you would want for yourself uh, there's so many restoration shops and uh, i mean there's dealers that have amazing stock of you know vintage cars you you could you could just do anything uh, there's really really so much but uh, the peterson is definitely worth a visit uh, i think of all of the stuff you can kind of do in la it's the box that you must tick uh, and then everything else really it's just a matter of going online and deciding what your poison is. Yeah. Because never mind Porsche's like if you're into Ferraris or if you're into muscle cars or if you're into JDM stuff, there is something to do. You could literally go to a different cars and coffee every hour on Saturday uh, and and see something really interesting. I need
0: to do need to just go and yeah. do that. It's like also just just to be able to go and drive and
1: hit the yeah, canyons and That's uh, the other thing is to rent a convertible drive. Mustang yeah. or oh. <laughs> Or, yeah. or, do what I did, and I rented a Toyota Yaris and just thrashed the life out of it, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, still get forty miles per gallon in return. That was pretty good. Yeah. Uh,
0: I when I went out for Radwood two, yeah. I had uh, an Alpha Four C lined up. Oh, and got cool. obnoxiously ill, and this was not induced by any you know mind altering substances, uh, mm. in particular alcohol. I just got a crazy stomach flu and I went down to Radwood, which I was intending on driving this down to, and I ended up in an Uber on the way down and an Uber on the way back. But it was such a great deal. I think for my two days there, it it was like 140 bucks a day. Yeah and had a decent amount of kilometers or miles on it the entire time to be able to go and rent it. But next time I swear I will be back and I will have that car to be able to go out and carve some canyon with it when I'm not you know, dominating the porcelain gods.
1: Well, it's funny. We were, you know, I was texting back and forth with friends and we were joking and it's like, okay, well, you know, th- that what you're doing is awesome but there's one thing missing. And I said, what's that thing? And was like, your own car. <laughs> yeah yeah we keep oh, talking I saw about that. I saw that yeah we keep talking about shipping and shipping all of our cars down one year and, and actually you know if we can get enough of a group together so that it, it it's not too expensive i'd love to ship my car to california and drive all of those roads'
0: That'd be so amazing i mean yeah. what, what do you think of like what what generally would be the cost to do
1: that uh i i know what it would cost to ship a single car yeah uh which would probably be a 2500 bucks yeah uh, okay. but then if you could yeah. you know if you could get four or five people together and just get one hauler and probably a lot less yeah so we'll see and then get the
0: hauler to sponsor the trip yeah and <laughs> do it all on instagram <laughs> yeah, and you get the whole, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah if i had the time i would drive all the way sounds there. complicated yeah. <laughs> okay so next year there yeah was there anything missing that you'd like to see i mean i i don't know that that's even possible but was Uh, there anything missing that you'd love to see next year
1: i think one of the um you know one of the pieces of magic about this event is 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 the unexpectedness of the venues that they choose so in terms of what's missing there's nothing missing and their biggest challenge may be now they're having to turn people away or how do you find a venue Mm. that's big enough to accommodate mm-hmm. all of these cars, because they had to shut down air cold parking because they just there was no more space, right? So the parking lot at the Toyota building had like hundreds of air cooled horses in it. So, um, how do you continue to grow this brand while keeping the venue intimate enough that it still feels like a special car show and not and you know you're not just reverting to a parking lot? I think that's probably the, the biggest challenge that they have on their hands. The other thing, too, is I think that, you know, the question needs to be asked at some point, when do you start letting water-cooled cars? Not into this show because, like, the literal translation of Lutka is air-cooled. It's air-cooled, yeah. Um, but, you know, at what point does water-cooled, Porsche geekery, you know, start to
0: rear its head and, and is then, that another show? What's the German is that word for a, for water cooled? Uh, uh,
1: Wasser gekult, I guess. Wasser gekult. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, 996s are already a lot more interesting now than they were a couple of years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And their values are on the rise and they are. there's a lot of interesting history there if you if you go looking hard enough. And then you've got, you know, the 944s and the 928s and there's even little bits of cayenne history that are interesting right so uh, i think that the porsche as a brand that's being the sort of magic is that it's it's enthusiast and and it's exclusive to a point but there's a lot of them out there and so there are a lot of fans out there hmm.
0: It'd also be really funny to see them separated with cooling stations. Yeah. One is just (laughs) fans. Right. Yeah. And one is the mix. That could be
1: on either on either side of the road or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um so in your opinion, what is it that makes air cooled so special? Is, this, is,
1: is it that special? Well, you know, there were a lot of cars back in the day that were air-cooled, yeah. right? Uh, I think actually for when you talk about Porsches, it's really uh, the common, it's not the air-cooled engine so much. It's the the uniqueness of the driving experience, which the air-cooled engine is, is sort of a big part of. But it's like, it's it's a car that sounds the way it does, that smells the way it does, that responds the way it does where the engine's behind you so you get this very unique um, kind of driving sensation you can't get all of that in one car yeah you can you know there are other cars out there that have air-cooled engines but you're not getting the rear engine driving experience right there are rear engine cars including a lot of Porsches that you get that part of the experience but you don't get the smell and you don't get that kind of Mechanical sort of thrashy sort of sound that you get with an air-cooled engine. So it's kind of a combination of all of those things. Yeah, and in particular, I think that the continuity of the both the 356 and the 911, the fact that while they evolved over the years they were in production, they were also also remained the same. That kind of continuity really kind of reinforced the passion of the people that love them. You know uh, where they're all kind of the same at, at some level. Whereas if you look at the water-cooled stuff, you know, a 996 to a 997 to a 991, like they're actually in some ways very different cars. Uh, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, even if you take a 993 and you take like a 70s car, there's a lot that they have in common. And the the sensations that you get when you're driving them are, are broadly similar.
0: I embarrassingly have to admit, mm-hmm. I've only ever ridden right-hand in a Porsche.
1: Well, we can fix that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I need to, I need to figure, I need yeah. to figure out what everybody's talking about. Yeah. And uh, I'd love to, I'd love to do that. I did ride in a 993 Turbo. Yeah. Was uh, which was quite the experience yeah. about um, yeah, 15 it's, years ago. And it was, it was mind blowing. And I, I loved everything about it. Even not holding the wheel. It felt like a visceral experience. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it's, it, it's all of that stuff. And it's the fact that they're so small. And they're easy to see out of, so there's this kind of like intimacy that you have with with it that you don't with like a bigger fast car. Yeah. Right. Especially some of these these earlier, you know, uh, air cooled cars. They're just so small when you park them. I park my nine nine three beside my two series BMW. And I'm like, oh crap, you know? <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> it's huge. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. So, what would you say is the closest to Luft? That we have in canada or i think is that, there is there anything you can compare there's with?
1: nothing quite like it because you know it's the variety of cars the quantity of cars that you get down there is on a whole other scale than than you would get in canada uh but in terms of interest and uh welcoming um atmosphere and uh you know cool old cars i think that the you probably get pretty close by going to the vintage races at uh at Mosport, sport and mm-hmm. ctmp mm-hmm. uh in june uh, because you'll see vintage race cars that maybe are quite or, aren't quite as perfect as you know the historic stuff that you would see at luft but you'll see a lot of old porsches that have been turned into race cars and that's kind of cool you'll see old bmws and mgs and whatever and the people at that event are incredibly varied they're incredibly nice they're incredibly easy to talk to and you know for fun factor i i would have a hard time you know trying to beat that uh just for just for a nice day out looking at cool cars it is a bit of a ways out right and that's kind yeah of one you've of got the,
0: to commit to it and drive it, but yeah. you also get to see them moving
1: you also get to right. see them moving this is true which is very yeah. fun
0: yeah um you know, I mean, I guess the the big question is, will FAF help to bring it to Toronto? I'd love to see that. I mean, I don't want to put any pressure on, but that would be really cool if you guys did that. Yeah, well, it,
1: it's, you know, I mean, I, I I sort of known Patrick for a long time and Jeff uh, and I, you know, in were teammates in the Trans-Siberia Rally in 2007. Yeah. So there is a bit of a connection there, but, uh, you know. Getting all of those cars to come up, you could probably find a really cool venue uh, here in Canada. I think that there's lots of uh, amazing places you could do something like this. But it's actually, you know, the owners of these cars and getting them to come up uh, is is the big challenge. Whereas in California, most of them are there anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, they, they were attracting cars from all over the world, yeah. but the core of their uh, of the of what was in the parking lot was was cars from local.
0: Right? Yeah. So There's got to be something really fun and attractive in Toronto to bring them here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, cool. So listen, we're going to, we're going to cut it there. But before we do that, uh, is there anything this summer, this kind of, I mean, it's still spring, spring, summer <laughs> that we should be looking out for from FAF um, from either shows or cars and coffee or meets or races or, events in any respect is there anything that we should be uh keeping our eyes peeled for
1: Well, a couple of things uh you know the pearly world challenge we're halfway into the season we're leading the championship in our in our first first season so hopefully that continues mm-hmm. uh so there's four more weekends left i believe um so you know follow us along there uh and probably the more exciting thing is uh And actually, it ties into old cars. Our what used to be our Porsche dealership on Auto Park Circle in Woodbridge, we are uh, creating, uh, you know, essentially a standalone FAF Reserve dealership. So that's going to be where we're going to sell all of the sort of high end, slash vintage, slash exotic, slash weird slash race cars
0: no kidding Uh,
1: so all of that all of the sort of high-end pre-owned inventory that we're selling out of the mclaren store is going to move over there the mclaren store is going to be an exclusively mclaren facility and so we will have a home for uh, essentially all of the strange collectible stuff that uh, that i love so much and that all of us love so much so that's uh, the reno is happening now um, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to sit in that building because I intend to <laughs> sit in this where building. You want to be. <laughs> um, and uh, I believe uh, the plan is to have it open by uh, June, July. So No kidding. Uh, yeah, things are coming along. Wow. Uh, there's going to be a Pagani showroom in there that will probably be uh, a couple of months delayed because we're actually waiting on carbon fiber tiles. Uh, from Italy. Who has who has ever used that yeah. sentence
0: uh, in a conversation yeah. in their life?
1: Yeah, and a and a very expensive couch uh, that we're waiting for. So no right kidding. now, there's an area of the showroom that's essentially kind of walled in that uh, will become the Pagani showroom, uh, and. You know we're working on a couple of nine eleven restorations in the back, and our leasing company is going to live upstairs. So, uh, one of the cool things about our leasing company is we'll lease anything. So, um, if you have a, you know, if you have a vintage Porsche you want to lease, we'll lease it to you. It won't be cheap, but we'll lease it to you. No kidding. So all wow. of the. the those businesses are going to kind of live in one place to really serve the needs of the collector. So hey, that's well, to moving
0: to what may be eventually the future of automotive ownership, which is yeah, this exactly. Whole idea of yeah. being able to lease whatever you want, whenever you want to. Yeah, yeah. very cool. Well, Lawrence, thank you so much. Um, I love getting some insight into, especially your trip to Luft, which I was very jealous of. That yeah, I you'll have to go to next year. I mean,
1: I, I think I've I think I've signed up like ten people to go with with next year because they all. Sort of we're watching not just me, but all of the coverage from afar going, yeah, like, holy
0: moly, what is this? Let's try to do. Luft yeah. and then maybe a day at let's say Willow Springs, or maybe yeah, yeah. we try to get into Thermal. If somebody's there, it can yeah. help us in
1: BMW. Does their uh, M driving experience at Thermal, so oh, that's well. probably worth doing. Let's
0: let's try to make this happen, yeah. and then we'll do a shop tour. Yeah. I mean, we could be there for two weeks, and you really, and cover you you, every know, day. you
1: could really be there all year and still not hit everything. <laughs> right, either. right. Oh wait, that's why everybody moves to California. That's right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: amazing. Well, Lawrence, thank you again for that. I mean, th- speaking of car shows and in Canada, I do have to shout out to this coming weekend, uh, May the 26th, is the Fitted, uh, the Fitted Car Show. So you'll be able to Fitted Lifestyle and Car Show. So you'll be able to check that out. Um, just after that, you get into Drift Jam. Um, you'll be able to check out some really interesting stuff at Drift Jam. The first event is at Gamebridge. And then coming up later on in the year is going to be the Oblivion Car Show. We're going to be is, at Ob- Oblivion.
1: Yeah, so yeah, Oblivion. we've got some interesting cars coming to to the Oblivion Show. Yeah, including I'm, I'm, the world's I'm, most perfect car auto. Oh, no kidding! <laughs> yes.
0: Well, I'm really excited about that. Um, and you know, um, Justin from Wells Auto has um, has really put a lot of effort, um, time, love, and care into that show. So, and that's coming up later on in the year, I believe, it's August, in I August. Yeah. And so uh, I'll be making sure I keep everybody abreast of that as we get closer to that show too. But very cool because we get into the 80s and 90s car culture with him. And of course, his very close tie to the DMC-12 DeLorean. So anyways, um, stay tuned for those. We'll keep you uh, into that. Uh, Very, very lastly, I've said that many times tonight, um, I got my first delivery of stripe design socks tonight and so i'm super pumped eric thank you so much um if you have a chance to be able to check those out do check out stripe design um i'll post a link on the uh in the in the both the facebook post and in the instagram post you can check them out but from um the you know original uh gti um patterns to we've got kill switch we've got the pasha We've also got a A Sharkworks GT3. A 9083. Yeah, Yeah, the 9083 uh, socks. I love all of them. Uh, The quality is crazy, crazy good. Um, I really do believe that they are going to be fitting for driving. These aren't just a pair of socks that you throw on and uh, and wear to the office. You can throw them on and go for a spirited drive as well. Um, Anyways, we'll be talking more about that in the future, but um, stay tuned for what Stripe's up to. Check out their site. Um, I'll post all the links in the uh, in the show notes um, when it comes to Facebook and Instagram. Um, and in the meantime, if you have any questions for me, email me at trevor at thebucketseat.ca or hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the Bucket Seat. And again, it's been episode forty-five. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, here with Lawrence Yap, and this is the Bucket Seat Podcast. <laughs>